This episode, we discuss the Samsung foldable phone finally being announced. We talk about a mysterious deletion of some Pokemon channels and why we think it's BS. And we also look at more Xbox Switch crossover news. Plus, in another edition of Geek Wars, the tables turn for me, and I fail miserably at doing an SP News impression. This and more in this week's show. I'm Joe from PopX Cast, where science fiction meets pop culture. Part of the Gonna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find more stunningly awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gonna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to episode 277 of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen Jondra and I'm pleased to say that Chris Farrell is here with me today. I'm always here. You can't get rid of me. But you know what? Who is not here this week? Because he did have something come up last minute and he's sad that he can't be here, but he will be back when we record next. But in his place, that's right, Stargate Pioneers away, but Suncast has managed to join us today to hold down the fort representing all sorts of secret NASA SNASA stuff. What's going on, Suncast? I don't know what you're talking about. SP is still here. <laughs> For the audio listener. <laughs> <in our> uh, <laughs> For the audio listener, uh, Suncast actually has one of the best backdrops that has ever been in backdrop history. And it's because he has a picture of, of Stargate Pioneer on him, like, like physically on his wall behind him. It's unbelievable. And I'm pretty sure it stays there like all the time, even when he's not recording. It's pretty incredible. So if you want to check that out, you can head on over to www.gonnageek.com or geeks.link slash 277 to see that. And Suncast, I do want to sincerely thank you for hopping on here tonight because I know this was like just a couple hours ago and you said you were willing to join us tonight. So thank you. Hey, not a problem. And uh, other thing that I want to mention is that before we do kick things off, uh, we're going to be away next week. So we will have a show two weeks from now, but just know that next week there won't be a show. We've just got a couple of schedule things going on and a good opportunity for me to take some extra time to do some stuff for Gunna Geek. So if you are checking your feed next week going, why? Why is it not there? Where are, where are my guys? Then, you know, first off, you need a better life uh, if you're worried about us. <laughs> Secondly, just know it's not just you. It's us. It wasn't you, it was me. It's always you. That's true. true. Uh, wow, that was in, in unison. Well, let's go <laughs> ahead and move on to the news. Here we go. All right, I'll go ahead and kick it off here. This is something that actually came out last week just after we recorded. If you're not familiar, we do record this on Mondays at uh, 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time at www.geeks.live. Usually it releases on the Thursday, but this came out on Tuesday, and it is something that we've talked about and speculated here on the GuineaGeek.com show and many, many other places, and it was the Samsung foldable phone. Yes, right, Samsung did indeed announce the 
foldable phone, which was first teased back in November. And this was at the company's Galaxy Unpacked event that came with some other devices, which we're not really going to talk about just because it's pretty much what was expected. But the Samsung Galaxy Fold, as it's called, called is going to be a unique $1,980 US dollar phone that's going to come out on April 26th through AT&T and T-Mobile in the U.S. But, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, that's a high price tag, don't worry, because you're going to get yourself a free pair of Samsung's wireless earbuds. That's right. It's their new their new wireless earbuds. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing that now. And there's going to be a LTE and a 5G version. So if you are looking for the Galaxy Fold, just know you can get that 5G amazing 5g that is not that great of a network yet anywhere but hey you can get the 5g you can get the 5g if you're looking for that and this is also going to be launched in europe on may 3rd starting at 2000 euros now the 7.3 inch phone is an infinity flex display that's going to allow the phone itself to have a tablet size screen essentially on the inside when you unfold it so it's a little bit thicker of a phone given that it has to unfold, but there is a 7.3 inch tablet that you can use. It's going to have a uh, 4.6 inch smaller display for the foam mode, and it's going to have 512 gigabytes of, U of uh, flash storage in it. Now it also will have 12 gigs of RAM and the hinge itself is apparently designed so that it will fold at least 200,000 times, which if you do the math, it basically means that in five years you could fold it 100 times a day. At least that's the theory. Remains to be seen whether that's going to actually play, but hey, we will find out. So if you got yourself 1,980 US dollars, go ahead and get yourself a Samsung Galaxy Fold coming soon to the guy next to you on the bus who drops it and breaks it. That's going to be me <laughs> right now. Probably. You know, I will say high pop price tag, but it is brand new tech. Like it, it's, you know, cutting edge tech and I'm okay. Even though the price tag's high, I'm okay with it because this is something that in no time we're going to have these everywhere. They're really going to be everywhere. And it is something that when they are everywhere, the price will come down. So I'm okay with, with the high price tag. Is it for me? No, it's not for me yet. But I look forward to seeing where this goes. I've had a 7-inch tablet before. It's it's okay. It's better than a phone. But with the, the thing is, it doesn't compare to like a full-size iPad. I, I The Nexus 7. You had Nexus 7 too, didn't you, Chris? Um, my fiance did. I did not. Oh, yeah. But it's I've gotten to use one. Yeah. Then the Nexus Seven. When I had it, I literally could put it in my back pocket. <laughs> that kind of gives you an idea on on the size of a phone of, of a seven inch phone, a tablet. To, to be honest, though, it, it's interesting. We've it's been rumored for a long time. It's happening. The fact that they've started to have like these roll up uh, OLED TV screens and stuff that were showed at CES shows that you can get this bendable display. So. It's cool to see these Gen 1 products because Samsung's got one, Huawei's got one that's actually more expensive. It's about 2,200 euros that they debuted at Mobile World Congress. But here's going to be one of the drawbacks people aren't thinking about is, you know, it's great with the phones we have nowadays. I don't put screen protectors on mine because the Gorilla, Gla Gorilla Glass, rather, by Corning, it's pretty durable. I don't worry too much about it getting scratched up. Well, there's no bendable version of Gorilla Glass yet. So all of these phones with bending displays and stuff, 
It's all plastic. It's hard plastic. The plastic is a lot softer than Gorilla Glass, so you're going to have to worry about scratching up your display. It's not as bad with the Galaxy Fold because the screen folds inward, but what's interesting is the new Huawei foldable one is that the screen is curved around the outside, so you just unfold it and look at it, and you have one screen that way. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. What's really going to tell whether this works or not is how well the software works. And that was where I think Samsung was saying the right things during their presentation at their Samsung event, that they've been working directly with Google in regards to how Android Pie works and how they are natively going to support foldable displays in Pie and have been making use of common libraries and things like that that Google has developed. So it's not like this is a, a tacked on weird Samsung feature. Yes, they'll have their Samsung experience stamped on things, but they're making use of things that are built into Android as it is now. And that, I think, is the key thing. Getting to see how this works on when you actually hold it in your hands and if it's smooth and seamless, that's going to be when people go, ooh, I kind of like that. And the Samsung demos and the folks that were on the floor playing with the Fold seemed to indicate that it was pretty smooth. You pull up something on Google Maps and you open up your phone and boom, it automatically transitions to full screen. And they've got stuff baked in there automatically so you have, for lack of a better term, a tri-screen feature where you predominantly feature like, one thing on the left side of the phone and then you split the other two the other quadrant up into two screens and you can view three things at a time so it's interesting in regards to that now with the price tag like steven said it's gen one tech let's be honest the most of the people that are going to be buying this aren't going to be joe average consumer tech guy on the street it's going to be the guy that goes oh i buy a new phone every two months when the coolest thing ever comes out that's what i want to play with so this is going to go more to devs who are trying to get ahead of the schedule so that they can have their apps ready for when these displays come out and for people that are just tech enthusiasts. And when you look at it that way, two grand, not a terrible price as an early adopter. We've seen worse prices. It definitely makes me look at it and go, oh, I don't think so. But <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of other people that will buy this. And I'm curious to see how it works out. I, for one, cannot wait until I can walk into my Best Buy or the AT&T store in the mall and go play with the Samsung Galaxy Fold for a little bit just to see it for myself because it's an oddity mm -hmm. and it's really interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the people that we're going to see is the ones that they've got money to spare and they're tech enthusiasts. They want to give it a try. They work in professional tech businesses. You know, people like Suncast. I was thinking of like Andrew Zarian. <laughs> you know what? I'll bet Andrew could score a, tr uh, a demo one. I'll bet he could. He, you, you make it's him do possible. that and then invite him on the show for us because, you know, <laughs> he. I don't think he does any other tech shows. I can't think of a single other tech show that he does. So no. we should probably give him an avenue. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's my take on this whole thing is that there's a lot of people out there that are poo-pooing the fact that this is a Gen 1 device and that, oh, it's not ready for mainstream. It's, it's nowhere near what people actually need from a device. It's a Gen 1 device. All right, let's think about this realistically. When the first iPhone came out, that thing was a terrible device. It didn't do a whole lot of things that phones of the era could actually do. Yes, it was the first touchscreen device that was mainstream, but it lacked a lot of features. That's and true. If you, if, if you actually compare it to something like that, well, then, yeah. I think if you look at where Gen 1 Foldable is right now for Samsung and where the iPhone is today, well, then you have that 10 years of time frame to actually build up and actually perfect a product like this. 
Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And I do want to say that I think that um, we are going to see this rapidly change. You know, I've, I've expressed on here before, I'm not super into the whole foldable phone idea, but I do think we're going to see enough of a market that it's going to quickly develop. I, I, I do really think that that's going to happen. Here's what will be interesting is what does Apple do to counter this? Because Apple's probably known this is coming. Samsung hasn't exactly been subtle about their thought of saying, hey, well, we're going to make a foldable phone. So it's going to be curious to see how the smartphone, for lack of a better term, wars escalate here with Samsung rolling out the foldable phone, Huawei doing it. We're, we're moving away from notch gate and pinhole gate, as that being the advancement now, to folding OLED displays. And that is going to be cool. Yeah, but Apple's going to do it, and then they're going to tell you that you're holding it wrong. <laughs> well, that's that's probably true. And the other thing that's going to be cool that comes out of this is not even related to these phones themselves, but supposedly Corning, who makes the Gorilla Glass, has said they're trying to develop a bendable form of Gorilla Glass, which I think could be really cool. So that instead of having a plastic cover for your screen on in, on the inside of these phones, it's Gorilla Glass as well. And if they can pull off bendable Gorilla Glass, like you have bendable OLED displays, that is pretty cool. And then think of the applications that could go into for other things. So while, while this is definitely not must-have tech. It's certainly cool, and I think it's got cool applications moving forward, but I honestly don't see the case right now where I would be like, oh my god, I have to have a foldable phone, just because that's no. too much for what I carry around every day. Like an S10 Plus or a Pixel XL, that is almost too much for what I want to carry around from day to day. I, I just can't think of the cases where I'd want to have my 7-inch tablet version of the phone. I don't want to be playing Pokemon Go on a seven inch tablet. And I don't want to play it on the four inch screen on the front either, but there's no good happy medium there. So I, I, I see uses there for like productivity purposes. Like if I was a traveling salesman or something like that, or if I was on the road a lot and I needed to have a bigger display for things to try and be productive while I'm waiting in the airport, I think this could be huge for that. But for me is just tech enthusiast, Chris, it's something where I go, it's neat, but I absolutely don't need it yet. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I want to ask you before we move on to the next point here, though. Um, do you think that there is a seven inch tablet market anymore? Because that's really what they're gearing as as like they're gearing it as a tablet itself, a foldable tablet. And and I just don't see seven inch as tablet worthy anymore with the way phones so, have evolved. I think they're slightly mismarketing in that regard. Remember, we've been talking about how the larger size phone screens keep growing and growing. That's what they need to be marketing this as is here's a way you can have the best of both worlds. You can have a relatively small form factor and still be able to do things on the smaller screen. And hey, when I want to watch Netflix or if I want to play a video game or something like that, whoop, I just unfold my phone and then I have the bigger version of it. So they need to be looking at it as like a bigger version of the phone. It's not that much bigger than a Samsung Galaxy S10 Plus. That's a 6.4 inch phone. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. You, it's the width. It's the big thing. Yeah, it's a little bit, but I mean, it's not a huge difference. Yeah, right. For now, I mean, let's be honest. What do you think they're going to do, say, two years from now? They're going to make these thinner and they're going to make the screens bigger when you un when you unfold them. I almost unwrap, which would be I, really cool if you just like unwrapped it. And it, it works, one of the biggest but, hey. problems that I actually have with the, the Galaxy Fold right now is that front displays it's so awkwardly small for that device yep yeah 
Well, we'll see what happens with this. I do think, though, that it is going to evolve uh, and quite rapidly at that. And we might even get bigger versions of this. I just can't help but think that this is going to just take off and be the next thing now. But moving on, uh, I know that Suncast had some news here that he wanted to talk about Pokemon. Or is it more like Pokegon? Ha <laughs> ha! No. No laugh on that? No. Okay, go ahead. Ha 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 ha! There's your pity laugh. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. That was funnier. <laughs> so on Sunday, two of YouTube's biggest Pokemon Go channels were terminated for violating guidelines. The two YouTubers being Mystic7 and Trainer Tips Nick. Now, Nick also stated that he was unable to access his Gmail account that was also terminated as a result of this violation on YouTube. Uh, in a video about losing his channel, Mystic7 explained that YouTube first issued him a warning about a single, seemingly innocuous video. But then it happened a second time to another video. He explained that the violations were a result of his videos containing, quote, sexual content. Hmm. Not sure about that. It's Pokemon Go. So not sure what's sexual about that. All those um, Pikachus are naked. They're all naked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in one of the emails he received from YouTube, they said, as you know, as you may know, our community guidelines describe which content we allow and don't allow on YouTube. Your video titled Highest CP Pokemon Yet in Pokemon Go Wild Dragonite How Much CP Will It Be was flagged to us for review. Upon review, we've determined that it violates our guidelines and we've removed it from YouTube. Huh? What? Not only didn't not only did they say that, but Mystic7 explained that his videos don't, that they were suggesting that his videos uh, include nudity or sexually provocative content, but also that the offending content explicitly, explicitly involved minors, which doesn't even happen on either of these YouTube channels. So it's just extremely confusing from the onset as to why these channels were actually terminated. So what really happened? Both Mystic7 and Nick's videos had titles containing the term CP, which stands for Combat Power in Pokemon Go, but apparently on the internet, CP is shorthand for Child Pornography. Yes, I didn't that's even right. know that. YouTube flagged the channels for containing child porn, simply for having the, the word or term CP in the video titles. This is just very strange to begin with. Uh, YouTube rep said, with the massive volume of videos on our site, sometimes we make the wrong call. A YouTube rep said in a statement, when it's brought to our attention that a video or channel has been re removed mistakenly, we act quick quickly to reinstate it. We give uploaders the ability to appeal these decisions and we will re-review the videos. Now, this only was reinstated within the end of that day, I think largely in part due to the fact that these were two very large YouTube channels. And this is one of the things that I have a problem with. It's just YouTube's ability to terminate and strike channels for seemingly vague reasons that have no claims whatsoever. So what would have happened if, you know, it was a Go to Geek channel yep. that was terminated for something similar to this? 
I guarantee. We, I, no, I totally agree. I guarantee we would never, ever, ever get reinstated because we're no, we're, we're a minor channel. You know. Oh my god, this is ridiculous. We, Sorry, I cut you we off. We have a hard enough time dealing with random yeah. copyright strikes that they give us that make no sense, and then you have to argue it and wait three days, and you're like, well, if this doesn't happen, then I'm stuck with this strike and I lose certain abilities. It's a different world for a smaller YouTube channel. I think this very much highlights how egregious the algorithm for YouTube is. Like the fact that they are terminating accounts for simply having terms in the title and not even actually reviewing these. It's just an automatic termination of the account based on the title of a video. Really, YouTube? You can't actually go back and look at something like this? I mean, if it's a termination, maybe you should actually have a human look at the the report first before actually terminating somebody's YouTube channel. I mean, to me, that makes a lot more sense. If it's going to be something that has that serious of a consequence for some human to actually review it before their account is terminated. So I wonder what their threshold is for review. How many subscribers and or clicks and or viewers have, do, you, do you have to have for them to have the script run and basically say, hey, this channel needs shut down, but ensure that a person reviews beforehand. Because my guess would be these big time money makers, like the giant channels out there, you wouldn't have something in the title that would cause the whole channel to be deleted. I'm not, I'm not saying that these two guys, uh, Mystic7 and Nick, aren't big in their circle, but they're not, let's say, like Entertainment Weekly Unbox or therapy. some of the big companies that have channels. Yeah, yeah. no, I, exactly. I, I totally. And here's the thing. Um, the thing that's ridiculous to me is is the term. It's it's CP, right? Like I played Pokemon Go for the first few months when we talked about it years ago, right? And that's my only real experience with it. And I still remember the term CP. Like it is absolutely ridiculous. Something as big as Pokemon Go, the term CP got it tagged. Like that's uh, that's insane. CP is clearly something that it's not new. Like it would be one thing if somebody went and they took like a, a pretty vulgar term or or something like that, and they started to use it in the niche market and whatnot. And it's a little minor thing. Yeah, you, you got to look at that and you go, okay, well, just because. A little company or a little game is using it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's clear to be used, but it's Pokemon. It's Pokemon Go for God's sakes. CP is is been around big term, big game for a long time. Absolutely ridiculous, and well, yeah, and this frustrates and, the hell out of me. But think about this: Mystic Seven received several strikes to his account based on this algorithm. That on videos that had absolutely no basis to be flagged and reported. There was nothing that violated their guidelines other than their algorithm saying, oh, well, you have CP in the title, so we're issuing you a strike for this video because we think, based on our algorithm, that it's probably child porn or some crap like that. Well, part of the problem is how people weaponize the reporting tools on YouTube now. And that there's another instance this has come up. Have you guys heard about the controversy around the Verge's uh, Let's Build a Gaming PC yes. reaction videos yes. and stuff like that? So there's a channel out there called Bitwit, and the guy's name that runs it, I believe, is Kyle. And he did a reaction to the Verge's Let's Build a, PC, a Gaming PC video, which was hot garbage. So bad, in fact, that the Verge has taken the original video down because people went in and watched it and were like, what the hell are you picking these parts for? Your instructions don't make sense. So he did a reaction video to it where he, much like the rest of tech YouTube, 
kind of made fun of it and went, what the hell are they talking about here? And the same day that on The Verge, they published an article about how uh, takedown notices on YouTube are being weaponized by companies not being used fairly. They issued a takedown notice in which gave a strike to the Bitwit channel for his reaction video to The Verge builds a video game PC, a gaming PC. Yeah. So th that's the other trade-off is you've got these bigger channels out there or these bigger companies that have got the big stick with YouTube and can be like, hey, these people are making fun of our video and we don't like it. Because let's be honest, it's probably fair use if you're doing a reaction video because there's tons of other reaction videos on there that haven't been taken down where the video plays in one part and you're giving commentary while it goes on. They went after this one guy who was pretty scathing in his reaction to it, let's be fair, and they issued him a strike. And they issued a takedown notice, which then gave him a strike. And he had no recourse at that point in time. He goes, what am I supposed to do here? He goes, if I try and appeal this, then I potentially get another strike and I can't afford to lose my YouTube channel because that's my livelihood. So we, yeah. we've got two problems there where the auto sensors and the auto filters are probably set up incorrectly. And if you don't meet a certain threshold, YouTube won't look at it. And the other side is if you are big enough, you can basically bully everyone else on YouTube because you'll get preferential treatment, it seems like. And I haven't looked in the last week to see if there's been any additional resolution. But as of last week, the strike stood. Yeah. And there was nothing he could do about it besides demonetize that video. I heard they retracted else it. Came of it. I heard they retracted they? it even I, when I the backlash. So. Yeah, no, I I think that they went and they said, okay, we reassessed this. I think it was uh, the, the CEO or whatever came out and said that. But, but they, see, by the time they actually did that, uh, half of what he was doing in the video was no longer relevant. Absolutely. Totally agree. And, yes. uh, you know, the, the thing is, though, we have a lot of content creators that do check out the Gunna Geek Network. And so if you do want to hear about all of the problems or some of the challenges that come with YouTube, Better Podcasting episode 168 just did this. We just talked about a lot of this stuff. So check that out at betterpodcasting.com slash 168 if you want to hear more, because this is not this is the tip of the iceberg for the YouTube insanity that comes with running a channel there Fair and the, use is dead yeah and the the limited mm -hmm. amount of information you get when you're a youtube creator so it, it's it's why you have a lot of these youtube creators now who are trying to find that viable other place to put content because let's be honest if you're looking for a place to do long form video youtube is the default that people go to and half jokingly people are like hey Pornhub, come save us because <laughs> say what you want They've got ridiculous infrastructure to host videos and long form content. So if they made a safe for work <laughs> version of Pornhub, that's obviously not called Pornhub using that, they could stand something up potentially. So I kind of understand the frustration some of mm -hmm. these folks have because it's totally at someone's whims as to whether mm -hmm. their channel gets dinged. It's, it's, it's not at someone's whims. It's at YouTube's whims. That's true. Yes. But moving on to our next news point here, Chris Farrell, what are you talking about here, Xbox on Switch? Are you stealing my information from last week, or is there more information now? There is more information now. So this is really interesting. I saw it pop up in my news feed, I want to say yesterday, but there were some rumors going around the net. Originally, it was on Direct Feed Games. It's then been subsequently picked up by Game Informer. that Xbox games will soon be playable on the Nintendo Switch. Now, the rumors are these plans are to bring some games such as Ori and the Blind Forest directly to Nintendo's eShop. The next rumor that's coming out of this is that Microsoft is going to put out a Game Pass application for the Nintendo Switch. So for those that aren't familiar, what Game Pass is right now on the Xbox One, it's like a Netflix of video games. You pay 10 bucks a month, you get access to a back catalog of, I want to say, a little over 250 different video games 
for the original Xbox, the Xbox 360, and the Xbox One, and you can play as little or as much as you want while your subscription runs. It's, it's kind of a cool service, especially if you haven't played a bunch of those older games. Where it gets interesting here for the Switch is if this comes out, a Game Pass app, they would then make use of their Project X Cloud streaming technology to make it so that you could then play Gears of War and Halo on the Nintendo hardware, meaning they use Project X Cloud to do all the heavy lifting and the rendering on the cloud, and then using your internet connection, push all of that down to your Switch, meaning the Switch isn't trying to render those graphics. It's not trying to process and do things. It's just streaming content from the web. So it might sound shocking at first talking about this, but if we do get that, it's kind of part of an ambitious strategy that Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, has been talking about for a while. They've been hell-bent on transitioning and expanding the idea of Xbox from a console to a platform, meaning you've got all sorts of avenues to play things. So if you haven't paid attention, in recent years, Microsoft has launched a number of services and initiatives that basically move Xbox games beyond the console. There's a Windows 10 Xbox app, that allows Xbox One owners to stream their games from their console to their PC. So in my case, in my house, before we had company over, they were watching a movie on the big screen TV, and I was like, man, I really want to play GTA V. I fired up my Surface Book, I turned on my Xbox, and then I used the Xbox One app on my Surface Book, plugged in my Xbox controller, and started playing games on the Surface Book. All of the work was done on the Xbox, and then used my local area network to then push it to my Surface Book so I could play there was not a ton of latency, but there was little latency that was noticeable. So they've already got that out there. For in regards to PC, they've pushed out what they call their Xbox Play Anywhere initiative, meaning if you buy a game that's tagged like this, such as Gears of War 4, Halo Wars 2, it'll play on an Xbox, it'll play on a PC, you buy it on one, you can play it on any of them. A pretty cool service. So they've kind of started pushing all of these things together. What's most interesting about these things like Game Pass, Nextcloud, and things like that is their potential to merge them all together and try and become something even more ambitious. Like I said, Game Pass is a Netflix-like service that allows you to download games on your Xbox One and play them as much as you want. But if you combine that with Project xCloud, subscribers could play the Game Pass catalog on anything that has a strong internet connection. This means it could extend to multiple devices. Nintendo Switch is the rumor right now, but imagine if they set it up so that there was a Game Pass app on your Roku or your Apple TV, or your Fire TV, or your Chromecast. No, it's probably not going to come to all of those. But if you could just pair your, your controller up via Bluetooth to those, theoretically, you could then be playing Xbox games on a multitude of different devices. It's a really interesting thought process. It's really something that we've seen explored before. There's been other services like Gaikai that PlayStation, that Sony bought, that does things like uh, cloud rendering of games. Google has their Project Stream, I think they're calling it, where they had Assassin's Creed Odyssey rendered in the cloud and allowed people to play it. This seems to be the next wave that people are pushing for. And while I sort of discounted this thought at first, I started then thinking back to what some of the rumors are for the next Xbox hardware. And remember, I think I talked about on this show probably six, eight months ago, there was a rumor there's going to be two different kinds of consoles coming out. One that's full-blown, cutting-edge hardware that's going to render any game you want, Another that was going to be a low-priced, not a ton of powerful hardware, but built upon the fact that you have a robust internet connection so that you can use Microsoft servers to render your games and push it down to your console and display it on the TV where all the heavy lifting is done in the cloud. And let's be honest, the reason some of these other cloud-based gaming services failed is because, hey, they don't really understand how to set up cloud gaming and things like that or to make use of all these server farms. 
What what is a lot of Microsoft's business right now? Oh, it's cloud-based work and server farms, much like Google's is. If anyone's going to pull it off, I think Microsoft could do it. And I think we might be seeing their first attempt to make Xbox a service on all of these devices by potentially bringing Game Pass to the Nintendo Switch. And I think it's a very ambitious first move. And I think it's an interesting partnership again between Nintendo and Microsoft to kind of realize, hey, Sony's kind of in a dominant number one position. But if we work together and we do this cool collaboration, we can put a really neat product out there that kind of may not beat them in this generation, but next generation sets us up to be in a really great position. So I'm really curious to see where Microsoft goes with this. I don't know if it's going to work, but I applaud the the cojones, for lack of a better term, to take such a uh, an interesting approach to solving some of these problems. And so the question it comes down to after I'm done rambling, what do you guys think? Do you think cloud gaming has potential or are we always going to have issues with it? I think that it uh, takes a lot of courage. <laughs> Honestly, I think you are going to end Tim up Cole. always having issues because ultimately gamers want the latest and the greatest, so especially the hardcore ones. And I just don't see that happening with anything else. I mean, that's just not going to happen with cloud gaming. I mean, if you think about what is going on with hardcore gaming at this moment, especially with PCs and uh, NVIDIA's new real-time ray tracing feature set, like that's just insane what they're doing. And they're going to want, you know, the super high-quality stuff. They're going to want something that is as latency free as possible and that's really really tough to do with the cloud that's just almost near impossible yeah i i think there's definitely ways that this can be done like i think there are people that can do this there are connections that are can do this i think that there's absolutely services that can do this but on mass i don't think so i don't think so because there's still a lot of people who are limited by bandwidth there are a lot of people who still struggle to get half decent internet and so i think when you look at a sales ability you know are gamers going to want to go and spend money on something if they are only going to be able to use it part-time or not everywhere or you know they might have to make sure to spend extra money per month on a better connection i just i, I don't think we're there yet one day one I day think that's key one day. So I kind of buried the lead in this one, which was the fact that there are going to be first party Xbox games, Microsoft games in the Nintendo eShop, which I think is a really cool idea. We've seen it with Minecraft, but the, the concept and the technology, it's really interesting. And I agree. Most people probably don't have the Internet connection required to make this work. I, I played around a little bit with Google Project Stream, and I think their minimum was you had to have a 35 megabit per second connection to play the game. That was the minimum and it, it ran pretty well. So I think as uh, broadband internet continues to become more and more prevalent and speeds go up across the board, this becomes much more interesting. But from a Nintendo Switch gamer perspective, this is interesting though, because it is, I've got my Switch. I love playing games here. I've never had a chance to play Halo or Gears of War. Oh, I can pay 10 bucks a month and I can play these games on here. That's kind of cool. And you might have a few people to pick this up, try it out. And put in 30 bucks in a Game Pass or whatever, play for a few months, take a break and come from time to time to do it again. I think it's a very interesting marketing method. I hope it amounts to something. I, I want to see all of these consoles succeed. And this is something certainly very different and new compared to what everyone else is doing in the console gaming side of the house. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, it'll be interesting to follow. And uh, if you yourself 
want to follow Chris Farrell, uh, Chris Farrell also does a podcast on the Guinea Geek Network called All Things Good Nerdy, and you can check that out on Sundays because they often do talk gaming there because there's there's a few gamers over there on the All Things Good Nerdy, i.e. all three of them. All three of you guys are gamers over there, so you should check that out on Sundays at 8 a.m. I think that is Pacific time. Isn't that? Is that... Is it 8 o'clock? 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. There you go. So check that out and wake up to the wacky morning crew of Chris Farrell and others. I think that's the official billing. Moving on to the (laughs) extra extra here. Let's dig in to our inner Stargate pioneer. We'll dig into the inner Stargate pioneer here. And we're going to tell you how Virgin Galactic has reached space again. And they've flown a test or flown if you prefer. They've flied flighted is that the correct english they flighted test Flown? passengers for the first time that's uh, right i don't Virgin- think that's accurate no I, i'm channeling my inner sp isn't that what he says no 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 yes <laughs> so sp so virgin galactic spaceship to vss unity soared to an altitude of 55.87 Miles, also known as 89.9 kilometers, on Thursday, February 22nd, two months after its first flight to space. On board the flight were co-pilots Dave McKay, which I believe is a loose relation to Dave McLean, McCain, which created the McCain franchise of foods. I, I think there's some affiliation there. Uh, Who is the company's chief pilot. There was also Michael Matsusi. But Susie, how do you say that, Chris Farrell? M-A-S-U-C-C-I? I have no idea. We'll say Masushi. Masushi. Again, my inner Stargate pioneer. Each of whom has clocked more than 10,000 hours in the air. A third Virgin Galactic staff member, Beth Moses, who is the company's chief astronaut instructor, was also aboard. Moses, who has completed 400 flights at zero G, was on board to provide more data about how human bodies experience Spaceship 2 flights and what the in-cabin experience is like for passengers. Today's successful flight... Well, not today, but today... Uh, re- reading his art... I mean, not SP's article. Uh, if I was channeling my inner SP, I would be reading a line that says, Today's successful flights mark the second time that VSS Unity has reached an altitude of more than 50 miles above Earth the line that some people use to define the boundary of space. It's worth noting that others stick with the more stringent 62 mile, also known as a hundred kilometer marker. Anyways, there you go. That's your latest happening out of the Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2. If I was channeling my inner SP, of course, uh, which would actually not have had this at all because if you episodes ago i believe sp said that we would never ever talk virgin virgins on here again i think that's what he said that's why you had to do it without him here exactly exactly it definitely wasn't because there was an article already in there and i didn't want him to have all that time he gone to waste fired? that's true but well not yet not yet i think he's got the letter is coming registered mail in about an hour um uh, oh, moving post that makes sense <laughs> Moving on to the next extra, extra point here. Chris Farrell, what's going on out of the world of Anthem? So for those that aren't aware, Electronic Arts just dropped a new looter shooter game called Anthem this week. It's by BioWare, a company that I really like. They're the makers of Mass Effect, of Dragon Age Inquisition, Knights of the Old Republic. 
some old school RPGs that I really love. I've played a ton of time on them. If you've probably heard me on this podcast on the ATGN show, gushing about Mass Effect 1 through 3, some of my favorite games of all time. Well, Mass Effect Andromeda came out about two years ago. It was not considered a success. I might guess might be the best way to put it out there. It was a glitchy game. The story did not appeal to a lot of fans, but it did sell okay. Not as big as they had hoped. Well, let's move forward two years, two years later, almost to the day. Anthem, the new game has released, and Eurogamer has a really interesting article saying that Anthem did top the UK box game sale chart during its first week of release, but half the physical sales compared to Mass Effect Andromeda. Why is this important? Well, Andromeda was kind of considered disappointing because it sold half as many games its launch week as Mass Effect 3 when it came out five, six years ago. So you're kind of seeing a downward movement in these Bioware-made games for Electronic Arts. Now, Eurogamer is quick to point out this does not account for the fact that people may have bought it digitally or have been playing through the EA Origin PC gaming service. We have seen a lot of people moving towards that. But regardless, it's a disturbing trend that Anthem not selling quite as well as they wanted. And I'm kind of going, hmm, I'm bummed out. I tried the Anthem demo, wasn't really a fan. Most looter shooters aren't my jam unless they're Borderlands, to be honest. But I really wanted the game to do well so that there'd be more Dragon Age and Mass Effect games. So I hope that this game kind of picks up, gets a little bit better, and more people start playing it and buying it so that I can get more of the games that I love from Bioware. But regardless, it's an interesting transition. And the real question is, did the game not hit the mark, which a lot of people are saying? Or is the market just too saturated with looter shooters and online games already that people are like, yeah, I don't have time to pick up another online-only co-op game? So is this about, like, God Save the Queen, Star Spangled Banner, O Canada, Advance Australia Fair. Is that the anthem we're talking? Is that what we're talking about here? We could say that, but this is actually a game where you basically get to be Iron Man. You get your own flying suit of armor with different guns and stuff, and you go explore a world, do missions with other people, stuff like that. And then you sing God Save the Queen as you finish the mission. Perfect. Story checks out. Exactly. And that makes sense why it's not doing so well. Uh, <laughs> finally, in our extra extra here, before we move on to some fun geek wars, that's a bit of a twist on the usual format. Uh, last week, it was reported that there was going to be possibly Android coming soon to the Nintendo Switch third party, of course. At the time, it looked like Android was only able to get to the startup screen onto the Switch, but in the last week, there has been a breakthrough by the Android developer, Max Keller, who was able to boot to the Android open source project, also known as AOSP, on the Nintendo Switch. Now, it's worth noting that when this was done, Android runs very, very laggy. And because of the whole Switch relying on CPU-based graphics rather than GPU drivers, it couldn't really operate the system properly yet it means that there is no games that were able to work but it bluetooth and wi-fi did work without issues which was quite a step forward compared to some of the rumors that we were hearing in recent weeks so it's kind of neat to see people working towards getting android on the switch why i don't know but i just think it's kind of neat it's because why not, why not? it's one of those <laughs> things hackers are just like hey can we do it? Well, let's find out. And that's just how it goes. It's fun. We should turn it over to our resident Android user, Suncast, here to tell us all about it, uh, what his thoughts are. Uh, 
What, you don't have Android experience? No. <laughs> uh, I actually, I, I think it's neat for the whole why not reasoning, but aside from that, it's really pointless. <laughs> it's totally, utterly pointless. But that's, it's fun projects, you know, fun makeshift projects. Why not? But let's go ahead and move on to a special version of Geek Wars. For years, people have said, Stephen, I hate your face. And I hate you too. <laughs> you like that opening? <laughs> For years, people have said this. And they said, uh, we don't understand why you don't suffer more. In fact, I, every time you speak, I grab my phone and pretend to strangle you. I just want to see you stuff suffer. So today, we are pleased to accommodate those of you who want to see me suffer because usually if you've if you've heard in the past with Geek Wars it's a little fun game that we do here from time to time on the Gonna Geek show usually what happens is I dig up a series of questions that are geeky and I ask these questions to the other hosts which we call contestants and eventually we end up with a winner possibly a tie well today the tables have turned and Chris Farrell has prepared a special version of Geek Wars now we're going to, I think, ring in in this edition, right? You know, first first one to ring You'll in. Say gets your name to be the first person in, okay. or whatever you want your call-in to be. Okay. And then what happens is that person gets to guess, and then I think this other person will get to guess if that person gets it wrong. Is that the way you want to play that this? That is correct. Okay. That is how we are going to do it. Okay. And the my understanding, Chris Farrell, is that this could only be done with Suncast and I, and that Stargate Pioneer would have gotten a whopping zero. Is that right? This this was done on purpose because Stargate Pioneer would not be able to participate because we've heard about his three-year rule for television shows. Unless it's had three successful years, <laughs> he doesn't want to watch it. So what we are going to do today is Geek Wars trivia on a show that all three of us have watched and talked about. We all really loved season one. Manifest. There's mixed feelings on season two. This is the Orville edition of Geek Wars. That's right. That's right. I'm doing it. SP's not here, and it's good because he'd probably hear all these I'm things. Like, suck. why the hell do I care about this? So, is this? Uh, is, yeah, right. Do we need to have a spoiler warning right now? Like, is is any of this from season two? Everything should be spoiler should be spoiler free. You have no worries here. And I wish I had hooked up my other mic so I could freehand it like Bob Barker during this, but I, I did not do it. I could sit here and hold it, but that would just... The price is wrong! <laughs> and that, that's that's infringing on Gimme's... Oh, not Gimme. Willie's gimmick. So I shouldn't... We'll just call him gimmick. I'm fine with that. We'll just call him gimmick yeah, we'll, from now we'll on. We'll just do that. All so right. I have 10 questions here, but there are bonus points available for some. So guys, are you ready? For Geek Wars, the Orville edition. All right. I feel like we need a fun intro or something. <laughs> Geek Wars. I feel Wars. like I'm still going to suck at this. <laughs> I think I will, too. I, I, I watched the show. I was like, oh, it's a fun ride. Didn't remember yeah. any of it. I, I think I you guys will be TV okay. Shows, but I, I hardly ever remember stuff. Me, too. I agree. This is going to be the lowest scoring so, version uh, of Geek Wars ever. <laughs> I'm not going like episode specific. Who's the character that did such and such? It's more like trivia about the show and tie in things to the show. You'll see as okay. we go. Okay. The first one, the first one, we found out in January that these two actors on the Orville just got engaged. Name the two actors or their characters bonus points if you can do both. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So they got engaged. Okay. 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 Let me see. www.google.com. <laughs> no, no searching. Yeah, I was searching. Um, you can't lose points. <laughs> off to a great start. Oh, uh, well, I know there was the rumor, but that never came to fruition, I don't think. So, um, but just just in case, no. No, I'm not going to say it. Uh, I have no idea. Okay, I'll go with um I mean, I'll go with uh the doctor and Isaac. I'll go with the doctor that and Isaac. That is not correct. The correct answer in January 2019, Adrian Palicki, who plays Commander Kelly Grayson, and Scott Grimes, a.k.a. Lieutenant Gordon Malloy, announced their engagement. So congratulations to the happy couple. Congratulations from all of us here at the Good to Geek Show. We're so very excited for you. I don't even remember you. names, so. <laughs> all right, so what's the official score there, Chris Farrell? It is uh, zeros for everyone. Yes! Right all right, continue. We can, we can just fast forward, right? <laughs> and that's going to do it for another episode of Geek Wars. Yeah. <laughs> So your second question, this one's a bit easier. Captain Mercer has a stuffed animal on his desk of what character? Steven. You've probably seen it. Uh, uh, oh. I don't know who Some that was. Some cast, I think, got that I one. I think you just edged me. Kermit. Kermit yes, the Frog correct. is correct. Seth MacFarlane's a big fan of Kermit the Frog, and evidently he has a pretty good Kermit impression, so he has a Kermit the Frog on his desk. And in fact... They bring it up in at least two different episodes. Feel asking, what's that on your desk? And he has to explain who Kermit the Frog is. So, Suncast, you are on the board. You have taken Thank the lead God. with one point. Yay! We'll see if you get How any more. How great would this be if I just win with one point? You know what? I would love it because you and I both knew it. And I'd be <laughs> totally okay with it because you and I would only have known one answer. So, <laughs> continue. So, the next question I have for you. You know, if you watch Star Trek... Majel Barrett Roddenberry is the voice of the computer in all of the different iterations of Star Trek. Who is the voice of the computer on the Orville? In bonus points, if you can figure out their relation to Seth MacFarlane. Wow. Wow. Really? <laughs> I've uh, looked this up before, but I can't remember. I don't even remember if it's a guy or a girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do, you, do you want a hint? I'll give okay, you guys a hint. So, it is a female voice. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Let me take a guess here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Sunkey. I, I don't know her name, but it isn't the, uh, the the woman that's married to Seth. You are close, but no. It is Dang in it. fact his sister that oh. is the voice. Of, it is Rachel McFarlane who plays Haley on American that's Dad. It is also the voice of the computer on the Orville. I had no idea. You were close. No idea. For the, for the record, uh, even though I had no idea, I didn't get a chance to buzz in. I'll just go ahead and say that I would have got that, even you though I didn't know. Get in. I knew <laughs> yeah, already. Sure. All right, so continue. All right, so one nothing. <laughs> one nothing. Uh, this question, question number four, there are two characters I'm looking for. Each person's name is worth one point, so you have the potential to get two points here. These two actors co-starred with Seth MacFarlane in A Million Ways to Die in the West and then were guest stars in the Orville in season one. Who are they? Season one guest stars. Oh, wow. You do realize that season one aired over a year say, ago, right? Forever ago. <laughs> I have not watched these episodes in over a year. That's the fun. Now Steven gets to feel the pain of when these questions come up and you go, 
the hell did he get this from? All right, so there's two, you're giving us two. So there's two guest stars. Do, do you want a hint? Sure. Why not? One of them is a man who had a featured role in a movie where he threatens someone on a phone because he has a very specific set of skills. Steven. Steven. Liam Neeson? You are correct. Yeah. Liam Neeson is correct. Wow. Liam Neeson was in season one? <laughs> Liam Neeson was in the finale of season one, if I recall correctly, or somewhere near the end of it. Wow. Okay. The other one, I'll give you guys another hint. The other one is an Academy Award winning actress. She was also in a movie called Aeon Flux as the main character. Let's go geeky here. Oh, Charlize Theron. So you got to buzz in. Steven. That's gay. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Say it. Slugcast. <laughs> Slugcast. You're right. Theron. It's Charlize Theron. Wow. You are correct. Wow. That's incredible. I, I don't. That was I, not a great movie either. I don't remember Liam no, Neeson. Not. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Continue. All right, so we all know the Oroville is an homage to Star Trek. By the way, the score is two to one. Look, by the way, it's two two the one. The score is two to one. If you well, go and look, only one Trek. regular cast member on the Oroville, i.e., not a guest star, has had a recurring role in Star Trek. Who is it? And for a bonus point, what series did they have their recurring Steven. role in? Steven. It's the Doctor, and she played uh, the girlfriend of Cisco on DS Nine. You are correct for two points. Penny Johnson Gerald, Dr. Claire Finn in the Orville was Cassidy Yates in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I believe she married Ben Sisko near the end of it. And interestingly enough, she has also been in appearing in Enterprise and in Next Gen, I believe, in single appearances. So she's been all oh, over track. I didn't know that. Um, you know, I remember, though, her character on DS9, though. If I remember correctly, she had to do some prison time or something, right? Wasn't she a traitor for something? She was working with the Maquis at that, one point in time. That's what it was. Yeah. And, and Cisco still, they still rekindled that relationship after that. So it just goes to show true love. You can get through anything. Well, she's on like every so, these days. Oh, yeah. So, Steven, you took the lead right there with a two point swing. It is now three to two. Steven, we are halfway through Geek Wars, the Orville edition, a.k.a. Geek Wars. Chris strikes back. <laughs> All right. Continue. This one I don't think was too terrible. I, I caught this one when I first caught watched the show. There is a model on Captain Mercer's desk. What is the model of? SK. Suncast. I want to say the uh, original Star Trek Enterprise. That is not correct. <sighs> I vaguely remember this. So it's on his desk? It is on his desk. Kermit is leaning against this model's base. Oh, that's right. Oh, what is it? Uh, <laughs> so, I'll go Suncast, ahead you can buzz back in if Steven can't figure it out, but I will give you a hint. Think about the name of the ship. Oh, it's of the Orville. The ship is called the, is the, it, ship is, is is called the Orville. Is it a model of the Orville? No. Then I don't know. I, I give up. Whatever. <laughs> I give up. I don't know. Because, like, you know, I thought maybe that was a nod to Star Trek because, like, every captain had their ship in their freaking ready room, right? So, so it is a model of the Wright Flyer constructed by Orville and Wilbur oh, Wright. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. 
Wow. Yeah, and Kent just got it in the chat room. So th this one's the toughest question, this next one here. And <laughs> oh, if you get it, you get 10 points. Wow. That's how much this question is worth. Okay. God, I want to because... get this now. <laughs> All right. We can, so we can what just turn are the human's microphone, right? Like, you, yeah, you can just exactly. pretend to just hear me, though, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what are the exterior markings on the Union vessel Orville? The Enterprise has the designation NCC-1701. What is it for the Orville? If you get this, you are my hero. You know what's stupid is that it's in every single shot I know. in the intro. <laughs> exactly. We see it all the time, but it never sticks. It's not as iconic as like well, 1701D is for some it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's also that. But every exterior shot. It's like, skip. You know what, Suncast? Oh, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. Uh, you guys can't hear this because I've muted him. I'm getting a call from Suncast. Yeah, hold on. Let's just mute this so that they can't hear what, what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm yeah. on his Alexa. Oh, yeah, Suncast and I both, we just confirmed, we both know it, but we're not going to talk about it on the show. So we'll let you do, we'll let you do the honor, Chris, and share what that is. So the exterior markings are ECV-197. That is the designation for the Orville. Ugh. If anyone got that, I was going to give tons of points. I would not have gotten it either. I just I wanted know. to throw it out there because I, it made funny me Funny enough, laugh. I was just looking at it a couple episodes ago, but, you know, I didn't pay attention. Continue. I should have watched the show last night. You should have. So it is a score of three to two, Steven leading. We have three questions left. There are no bonus points on any of these, so it could get very interesting. So question number eight. Seth MacFarlane is a well-admitted Star Trek fan. He was a guest star and guest appeared in which series of Star Trek? Steven. Steven. Uh, it was uh, Enterprise. It was, in fact, Enterprise. He was a random crewman in engineering yep. Yep. on Enterprise. I didn't watch that series as much. Did he even have a speaking line? He did not have a speaking line. He was literally just behind uh, Trip Tucker's shoulder standing there with another crewman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I thought so, that one was interesting. So that's, uh, what's the score on that one there? It is now four to two, Steven, with two questions left. Suncast, if you get these two, you can tie the game. Yes. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Question number nine. Yafit is voiced by which former Steven. SNL That's cast member? Oh, Steven's got that one. Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald is, in fact, correct. And just to make things interesting, it is five to two, Steven. I'm going to make this last question <laughs> worth three points. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. So that he can obliterate <laughs> me even more. <laughs> Suncast, I think you can get this one. <laughs> for the audio listener Suncast has walked away he has walked away which means that over his shoulder Stargate Pioneer will be playing so go ahead and uh, try yeah, go ahead, SP. <laughs> yeah SP's got this the final question it is worth three points it can potentially tie the game because Steven likes ties the question I have for you what is kind of like bow ties yes Wins he or likes the, he, bolos he prefers he prefers bolo ties all right, so what's the question? This Seinfeld alum guest stars as a bartender. Who is it? Steven. Steven. Jason Alexander. You are correct. Jason Alexander is the bartender that we met in the season one. He was at the end of season one, also the beginning of season two. Yes. He was in full makeup, and I did not realize it until I heard his voice. I was like, holy crap, 
that's Jason Alexander. There's also another Seinfeld tie in there um, with season two as uh, there is. I'll, I'll save the details, but there's a character that comes in for a couple episodes and it's putty. It's putty. Yes. I, uh, I guess I should have rephrased and said this Seinfeld full time cast member versus recurring. You are correct. Putty was in there as well. Yes. So, Stephen, you got to be on the other side of Geek Wars for a change and you won. Well, see, the uh, the thing that I feel uncomfortable with that there is that um, you, what you don't know is I looked at the camera that I placed over your shoulder. So I saw the answers. <laughs> like, I bugged your house a long time ago. That's fair. That's fair. So. It was a well-fought contest. It did come down to the end. There were some tricky ones in there. They were. But seriously, if anyone could have figured out the registry markings of the Orville, that was 10 plus points right there because I don't know how anyone but a super fan would know that. Is there any, do you know if there's any uh, reason behind those specific numbers? Like, do they have any meaning? Not that I could tell from any Google searches, okay. anything like that, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some kind of meaning ascribed to it because... They do like to reference Star Trek a lot or yeah, other sci-fis and have like winks and nods towards them. Um, I, I want to say this, that I, I really have not liked season two. I've, I've expressed that on here. I, I've not liked season two so far, but the mm -hmm. most recent episode, to be honest, it shows me that there's the potential. Um, and I was tech, uh, believe it or not, I was actually messaging with Stargate Pioneer who hasn't hasn't seen it yet but he did give me a really good reference point that i want to consider and just put out there because i really don't like the what i've seen in season two i think it's a completely different show so far than yeah. season one suncast and i regularly talk about it um there's some people it in our discord a completely different feel different feel uh suncast i agree with your assessment that you said in discord that the characters don't feel like they're characters or something to that effect and there's even they people feel lost yeah they feel lost and there's people who have actually dropped it in the discord with that said sp framed it really good and um he doesn't even know what i'm talking about but he he picked up on what I was saying. I don't think anybody knows what you're talking about it, half the time. It's so. true. That's true. And he, <laughs> no, said, he said that maybe, maybe this cliffhanger that everybody's talking about from this past week has the potential to be the best of both worlds of TNG, where it just, you know, leans in a certain direction and just is the thing that hammers the series forward. And I could see that happening with this most recent episode, that this is the one where it pivots it and just kind of gets us to the next generation or the future of Orville. So I stand by what I've said for season two so far. I don't like it. I, I think that most of it's been terrible. Um, but I will say that thinking of it from the best of both worlds perspective, I definitely think that there is this potential for that to happen with this. Now, in two episodes from now, um, after this cliffhanger ends up resolving itself, if we're back to the rest of season two, then I'll go ahead and I'll call it right there and say that season two as a whole is probably terrible. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. So I was going to watch episode eight last night or the night before, but then Chris talked me out of it in terms of having to want to watch episode eight and this week's episode together because of the cliffhanger. Yeah, no, I think you're smart to have wait, waited. I wish that I, I had. I think so, too. I totally wish I, I had. I kind of wish I had. It was I enjoyed the episode. And if you're current, you can tell they're going for that best of both worlds vibe where you you get that kick in the punch like you had or kick in the chest, right? Like you had at the end of best of both worlds part one. We're like, what the hell is going to happen? Mm -hmm. It's really good. And I don't know how you wrap it all up in a nice little bow in 40 minutes the next week and have there be no repercussions for the rest of the series. And I hope we don't. I think this has potential to be similar to what they did in Deep Space Nine with like 
the Dominion's introduced, and then the Dominion is the overriding thing that you have for like four or five seasons, and that's always going on. And you might have little jaunts off to a side mission or something like that, but you've always got that going on in the background. That this this has a very interesting prospect for a pivot point. And people were asking Seth MacFarlane about it on Twitter, and he said this has been planned since episode one. Yeah, so which is cool. what they what they did here is what they've been planning since the very beginning. Which I'm happy to and happy it's to hear because I you know we're by the way we're specifically skirting the plot for many reasons but um I had a theory in Discord um that they were maybe taking it a oh things are going to work out in the end and I didn't want that I specifically said that I don't want that and and from that quote there it sounds like they're they're going to go the good way and not the reset button sort of thing sort of way so uh we'll see what happens i'm not going to say anything else just so that we don't spoil this but i'm really 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 looking forward to seeing what they happen i'm more concerned about not the next episode but the episode after the tone of that because if it again if it's back to the beginning of season two i do have concerns and and unfortunately the relationships and whatnot that happened so many relationship episodes in the first half of season two i think that it does take away from some good writing of this most recent episode because it banks a little bit on relationships but unfortunately it was played so much in the beginning of season two it it mm-hmm. kind of took the emotion out of it for me but um i think once we've let some time pass and we look back at this episode depending on where it goes i think that it's going to be a really well-written episode um with that relationship stuff so just warning you now if you were like me and you didn't like the relationship stuff you might find the first little bit a little bit off-putting but it's necessary for the story so we'll leave it at that now see th- this is what confuses me because in like season one yes there was the, the relationship stuff but it wasn't to the extent that it is with season two yeah I think what they're doing here is they're taking a lot of inspiration from next gen. And if you look at next gen, especially season two and early season three, there were a much more, there was a lot more focus on like these character centric episodes where it was all about the relationships between characters and things like that. And we've all said the Orville's an homage to next gen. It seems like that's where they were going with that. Now we'll see how they pivot after the episode eight, episode nine stuff. Like I said, I think it has a ton of potential. I haven't been as critical of Orville season two as you guys have been. I've just kind of leaned back and enjoyed the ride. I've been having fun with it. So I'm really curious to see where they go. Part of why I wanted to do this trivia was just because it was an excuse to talk about it and see what the buzz was (laughs) that everyone had. I think what it kind of comes down to me is that we all loved season one and the way that it ended. And it was just like, wow, this is an awesome show. And this is what we want from a Star Trek type of show. At least in large part, at least especially for for those of us that aren't big into Discovery. But then to have waited an entire year for the second season, and then this is what they've done for the second season, which is so drastically different and, in my opinion, very disappointing from what we had in that first season. That Really, we haven't seen what we had with that first season in the second season. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's why I'm very disappointed. Well, and I, and I want to say this, that like, I think that there is um, a really good balance if you were a little bit more into the modern sci-fi take, because modern sci-fi is very different than classic sci-fi. And the balance being between Discovery, which really did go, try to go very, very, very modern sci-fi. And for a lot of people who like the old school sci-fi, it doesn't gel so well. Balancing it with Yorville, which was very... To be honest, borderline unoriginal with how much of a nod it was to TNG, but it was a really good balance if you were somebody who liked the big 
broad scope like myself. And now both of them have made changes where they're, they're kind of more in the middle. And to be honest, the Orville doesn't do relationships that well uh, when they do these relationship episodes. And that's probably because we didn't get too in depth with it in season one. In any case, I'm I'm still waiting to see what happens for the rest of the season. This this most recent episode has definitely made me pause a little bit on the overall criticism of season two and, you know, give me a little bit more hope. But I again, we'll see in a couple of weeks. So on that note, I want to thank Suncast for coming on here today. Suncast, I do really, really, really appreciate that. Again, I know this was super short notice. It was amazing having you on there and on here today. And Chris, thank you so much for preparing those questions as well. I know you also have to pull those together pretty quickly as well. So thanks to both of you. I've had them in my back pocket. I was hoping to do one of these one day. (laughs) And Suncast, for those people who are not familiar with you, where can they find you? Uh, Check me out on Twitter at Suncast. That's S-U-N-K-A-S-D. Also, check out GFQ Network. That's where I produce a lot of TV shows and podcasts and stuff like this. Uh, check out GFQNetwork.com. We've got What the Tech on there. Matt Men, if you like what wrestling. Um, if you're into hair loss, you got some hair loss of your own that's going on. we got The Bald Truth. So check those shows out. And what about if I am uh, craving no. candy? What if I'm craving candy? Where can I find you? No? no? Can't find YouTube. You? Can't find you in the park? You got lollies? You don't have lollies? You stopped the lollies? Nope, don't have those anymore. (laughs) Don't want your YouTube video to get taken down. (laughs) Chris Farrell, anything that you want to plug or promote? I got candy. All right. Well, on that That note, let's go ahead and close it off for (laughs) episode number 277 of the OfficialGunnaGeek.com show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying... I'm sorry for all of you who bet against me. Really, I would have bet against me too. I, I really would have. I'm Suncast, and uh, SB, it was great having you here today. I'm Chris Farrell, and I did bet against Steven. <gasps> As you should have. As you really, really should have. Bye. Yes, and I got candy. checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.